Welcome back to the Charlotte Angel Connection, the Charlotte area podcast linking entrepreneurs, investors, and the broader Charlotte community. As you know, our goal here is to interview the individuals who are building, shaping, and influencing entrepreneurship in the Charlotte region so you can stay invested in Charlotte's growth. Today, we step outside of Charlotte, not by a whole lot. We run down to Wilmington, North Carolina, and interview Natalie Waggett, who is a co-founder of Ahonify. Um, great, powerful story. I love it because she was a casualty of the great financial crisis of 2008. She was with Bank of America at that point in time. Was laid off, did some soul searching, ended up in a small startup down in the Wilmington area that we now all know as Encino. Ran through that, um, had some tough personal challenges and lost her husband and took a few years to kind of get recentered. And the story of what Ohonify does, how it came about, is a super cool story, very powerful story, and she tells it really well. So a lot of challenges to overcome uh, personally, but they've got a team of 10 full-time, five interns, they're growing a business that's currently targeting the craft beverage market, but has lots of other applications and business places that it can travel down as well. So enjoy her story. Take it to heart. Um, there's a lot of other entrepreneurs out there that could follow in her footsteps. And for that reason, we're super excited to share her story with you all today. So please enjoy. Natalie, welcome to the podcast today. We're excited to jump into this conversation with you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm grateful to be here and appreciate you guys taking notice. Oh yeah, absolutely. So let's uh, let's jump in and, and do a quick 60, 90 second commercial of who you or your company um, are. Perfect. Yeah. My name is Natalie Waggett. I'm a UNCW graduate. I live in Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, in the last seven months, I've I've sent my son to a combat zone courtesy of the U.S. Army, and I've launched a software startup here in Wilmington. And and I I love who I get to be in this chapter of my life. So I'm excited to talk with folks today and tell you a little bit more about it. Oh no, that's awesome! So super excited. You've got a wonderful story, and I think a wonderful startup, and um, ready to kind of share it with our listeners. So let's dig in. Sounds great. So um, you, uh, as you mentioned, you started your company's seven seven ish months old, yeah. um, but that's not the first thing that you've done in your professional career. Um, so give us a little bit of background of, as you said, you know, come out of UNCW, what do you do? Um, what does your career kind of look like in the early days as you progress through life? Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you for that question. It gives me a chance to, to relive some of these amazing memories. Um, after high school graduation, everyone else went to Cancun and I went to Teller School because I just knew ever since I played Monopoly that I that I wanted to be a banker, that I wanted to be a person that that could use, you know, money and, and the energy that that money brings for good and to help people and to make lives better and that sort of stuff. So I went to teller school and, and of, of course, then came to UNCW and worked as a teller for uh, and I'm going to date myself here for a minute. Nations Bank, which has now become Bank of America. Um, but I, I worked until I graduated from college at UNCW and I 
um, to turn that into an 18 year career. And in 2008, when the global f financial crisis hit, I was one of the victims of of, you know, the, the all the pink slips that went out, just that reduction in force that that everyone experienced during that time with so much uncertainty. And I ended my career as a wealth advisor within Bank of America. So I handled customers with net worth like five million and less. And we looked at comprehensive financial planning and and, you know, setting up trusts and working with CPAs to try to structure assets to best help the customers, you know, achieve the goals that they wanted. So. I've always had a knack for finances. And when um, when that layoff came and that pink slip came, I gotta be honest and say it, it stole a little bit of who I was because I had been a banker for 18 years for the greater part. I'd been a banker longer than I had not been a banker. And so it was such a big identity crisis for me. And um, uh, after a couple of years of doing some soul searching, my husband and I at the time tried some different adventures and just you know started to dream a little bit, but I wasn't, I just wasn't ready to be an entrepreneur, um, which is really different than my husband because through him, I've owned a construction company and a retail casket store and an auto detail shop and a snow cone concession trailer and a wholesale and retail seafood market. And I'm sure I'm forgetting about a, a ton of stuff, but, you know, so he was always the one pushing for entrepreneurship. And I was the one saying, oh no, I love my corporate job that, you know, has a W-2 and has all this. And, and um, it, it took me a lot of years to to get over this fear I had of doing doing what I get to do now. Um, after I, I was out of Bank of America for a couple of years, I, I decided I needed to go and I wanted to work for a company again. I wanted the structure. I wanted the community. I wanted everything. And I, frankly, at the time, I kind of wanted to get away from my husband a little bit because we were trying to work together. And, you know, that can be hard sometimes. Yeah. One of my former clients reached out and said, there's this great startup. It, it's new. I, I don't know what's going to happen, but, you know, we got to get you back in the game. Um, and 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 I'm so grateful to that friend. I had lunch with him this week and I said, I'm so grateful that, that you pulled me back into the back into the game because I went to work for that company called Encino, who has since had a fabulous um, IPO and is and is running a healthy business. And I'm you know, I'm reading stuff that validates what we did, which is that the banks on Encino are performing better. And that was our promise. And, and that's what we wanted to happen. Um, about seven and a half years into my career at Encino, I lost my husband and um, it was tough. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was um, one of the hardest things that I've ever had to go through in my whole life. And I, I hate that I get upset about it, but I just want people to know that something can hurt so badly that it chokes you up like I'm choked up right now. But if you keep trying and you keep going and you don't give up, um, you know, I think God and the universe have much bigger plans for people. And I have never felt so loved and so supported and so happy and so fulfilled as I do now. And I only say that to help communicate a sense of hope that if anyone is going through a tough time or there's a loss, there's an uh, unimaginable, amazing lesson in that. And I, I think it's really important to know um, what you're capable of. And, you know, my daddy said it best, um, you can do anything. And I, and I think that people hearing that is important, especially if you're thinking about starting a business, because I just um, explained earlier to someone that 
I avoided entrepreneurship for 30, almost 30 years. I mean, I just know I, I didn't want to be self-employed. I didn't, I didn't want the burden of all those families depending on me because I was terrified. And, um, you know, I, I look back on that fear and I think it was, it was, it was unfounded, but it was, it was necessary to help me realize now what I need to do in order to put a company in place that I feel comfortable running. And, Given my banker roots, a lot of that has to do with hedging risk and really thinking through expenses and, and how much we spend. I think in, in software in particular, we have gotten this um, attitude of like, if you get money, you have to spend, spend, spend it. So at the moment, we're bootstrapped because I want to spend it like it's mine and I want everybody else to spend it like it's mine because I'm a banker and I believe in conservative spending and smart growth and strategic growth and so I'm really excited about what we're doing here with the company Ohanify. Yeah, no, um, as we've talked in the past, I mean, it's a, um, I think it's an awesome concept and idea of, of what y'all are doing and um, excited to kind of to dive into it. You're, um, what were some of the valuable lessons that you learned at Encino um, working with that startup as it started through the growth stages um, that really stick with you today? Hmm. Um, we only have 50 minutes. I, I could probably <laughs> go on for days. I'm sure there's a book in there somewhere about that, but you know, when you put that's for after, that's for after you exit the book, right? The book <laughs> is later. Right. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. Um, when you put together a group of friends or a group of colleagues or even a group of strangers, they need inspiration and the, and they need to be working toward a common goal. And I can remember really early on, um, Dr. Jonathan Rowe, who is uh, was the chief marketing officer of, of Encino and had been since the beginning. He's a former academic and he has such a cool life that he was able to transition that skill set into being a, a marketing officer and and. Some of the things that he did really well where he painted some big targets for us. So like he would, you know, put up posters, we're going to be a billion dollar, $10 billion company. And, and I just learned from him and Pierre Naudet and, and really all of them, Josh Glover and Pullen Daniel, all of them to dream big. Um, and, you know, I think even some of that started with the folks at Live Oak Bank and dream big. Um, and, and why not you? I think that was something else that I learned just watching these incredibly successful people, um, you know, muddle through. I mean, it's hard there. And 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 it, a lot of it's because we make it hard on ourselves, but it's hard to like find a market and find a problem and then solve the problem with technology and then get people happy on it. And and I think when you when you really think about all of the different steps that it takes for someone in software or really in any industry um, to make or to exceed customers expectations, that is something that we did every day. Um, at Encino, and and I learned to live by that uh, mantra. And I'm I'm and, and I, I suspect I already have. I'm reading a book right now by Will Guadara uh, called Unreasonable Hospitality, and it's very much about running a successful restaurant and what it means to be hospitable, what it means to show people hospitality. And it's not just service; it's not just taking care of people. It's making them feel welcome and and making them feel like they want to be a part of your team and part of, uh, to be your partner. Um, and Ohanify was founded very much th that way. Uh, it's an interesting story about eight or nine months ago, I was, I was dropping my son who, who, as you can imagine, is just the joy of my life. I was dropping him at the airport in Atlanta 
and I had a long ride home and I knew I didn't want to be in my head. I needed to be in somebody else's head. So <laughs> I decided to listen to a book and I, and I chose a book that was written by a girl that I had gone to middle and high school with. We had not spoken in gosh, 20 plus years, but I, I, I wanted to hear her story because I just felt like I needed to hear someone else's story. Otherwise, sometimes you get stuck in the woe is me. So I listened, I listened to her book on Audible. Um, it's Inez Rubastello. She's written a, a book called Life After Windows. And, and I heard, what I heard in her book was tenacity and grit and determination and just this general acceptance that if you love people, people will love you. Just this universal belief that we as human beings are all connected and that we can help each other and be better. And it's a beautiful story. Um, as I was reading the book, I was just so moved by number one, her authenticity and also her vulnerability. I mean, there's some hilarious stories in this book that really, really explain to you who she is as a person, but also, and also what types of things really good people sometimes go through. Um, and I was so inspired. I reached out to her and we, you know, we started talking about just everything that she was doing in my hometown, because as I'd lost my husband, there's always this in inclination in us. Maybe, maybe we should go home. Maybe we should go back to that, which we know unequivocally. And it's tough because I've lived in Wilmington about the same amount of, or I've lived in Wilmington greater than I've lived in Tarboro, but it always just kind of has always felt like my hometown. And I started doing some research on the community itself and looking at, you know, like she owns a brewery. So I started looking at the brewery uh, Facebook page and realizing all the people that were attending events and, and were coming together and being together and and really collectively becoming this community that supported Edgecombe County. It's very rural. There's not a huge population. So, you know, it kind of takes everyone working together to make small areas like that work well. And I was so inspired by that. Inez and I met for dinner downtown here in Wilmington at Mana, um, which later becomes the restaurant where we actually launched our, our website and celebrated the launch of the company. But um, while we were there, uh, at the end of the conversation, because I have all this banking experience, I mean, gosh, I was a commercial banker. I did small business banking. I was a, I was a wealth advisor. Like, I've seen a lot of industry. And so it just always seems to come up that we talk about finances and the health of business and that sort of stuff. I, I, I guess you could say numbers are my jam. I don't, I don't know how else to put it. But as we started talking about that, I sensed a lot of uneasiness in Inez. And because I love her and I care about her so much and I'm so inspired by her, I just, well, how can I help? You know, and I, and I went home that night and I, I laid awake all night and I thought, gosh, there's, there's so many ways I, I could help her. I could I can invest in the brewery or, or I could I could go sell beer. I could I could. Uh, and then and then some there was kind of this overarching theme. I mean, I had a thousand ways I could help her. But the biggest one was I can enable her to really help herself. Right. To help her grow and scale her business, because um, I believe that that's one of the greatest gifts that we can give entrepreneurs is the ability to grow and to scale and to have the peace of mind that everything is being measured. So um, I laid awake all night and, and, and if I were going to go on a business adventure, there's, there's one guy, there's, there's one person that has just popped into my career in crazy ways with different companies and, and different experiences. I did some time in consulting. I had the opportunity to link up with him there. I did some time at another product company and had the opportunity to work with him again there. It's like the universe is just punching me in the face. You should do something with Ian Padrick. 
And so I, I called him on the phone and I have this tremendous sense of urgency when I'm inspired. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm setting up a new office. I've just opened a, a consultancy called Ohanify. And I said, I'll, I'll be there in 30 minutes. <laughs> so he's in a common desk space. I show up. And I start to explain to him the challenges that I've seen. And, and as a consultant, I actually did some solution architecting. So it, the skill set that I have is super eclectic and really only fitted for exactly what we're doing without me having to be able to let go of any of the skills that I've acquired. I started talking to him about what we would call in technology development, things like business requirements and user stories and and within about an hour, I helped him see that, number one, the craft beverage industry is amazing. But number two, that he and I are meant to do something together and that we have an opportunity to help entrepreneurs and to, and to help people who are running a business and are frustrated about, you know, all of the different components that that go into business management. And it's things like helping your people know when they need to take a vacation day and and onboarding your newer teammates with an amazing experience so that they're excited and, and can do things like write a blog in their first week and talk about how excited they are to be in a company. Um, and, and we started thinking about things like how can we help people with sales in terms that are more conducive to them? And, and what we really, if you think about this as an overarching umbrella, it's like how can we solve as many challenges, business challenges as possible in a singular platform? And obviously, the answer is very clear because we've seen it done in many, many different industries. But the answer was we build it on Salesforce. And I happen to have a team of, of Salesforce consultants led by none other than my favorite Salesforce developer in, in my career, Ian Padrick. And, and so we, you know, we had some conversations with the team and we talked about pivoting from, from a consulting company because... We all know that that's a hard model to sustain. At some point, consultants get a conflicting business model with their clients. And I'm only saying this because I was one, but at some point, consultants get so big that they care more about the hours that they bill than the amount of value that they can drive. And that it becomes this sort of imbalanced seesaw, if you will. It's not always designed to be mutually beneficial. And I, I knew that Ian wasn't aspiring to that type of company, but we had seen many consultancies sort of get out of balance on that seesaw of add value in that. And we had seen product companies be able to solve these massive problems at scale, right? Like, um, Encino was born out of Livig Bank because Livig Bank needed to figure out a way to process SBA loans faster. Um, so they they found a problem and they solved that problem. And then what Encino, what we found then in those first few years was that it wasn't just SBA loans that banks struggled to process. And what do I mean process? It's 147 documents that you have to put give to someone to do an SBA loan. And that is a horrendous number of documents for someone to have to assimilate. So how do customers make it easier? I don't know why I'm talking about Encino. Um, I, I'm just still really passionate about what they're doing and I think they're helping people. But Ohanify is doing the same thing. We started, we launched, as you can imagine, in craft beverage. And we did that because um, we believe in the, the sense of community that these organizations drive. We've seen the effects of it. If you drive around in downtown Winston-Salem and you go through places like the Art District where you see these breweries as staples in this community, as these just kind of anchor stores, if you will, 
and, and the art and the creativity and the passion and the love that kind of surrounds these areas. Like we are mad about that. Like we yeah. are, we are insanely optimistic about what can happen. Um, but we also see that they face so many challenges. I mean, there are, there are regulations still in place from the twenties and thirties, like oh, yeah. nobody ever looks at them and to, to consider what might be better in, in today's world, in this global world that we live in, there are, um, you know, there, there are, uh, an, an, another generation of, of drinkers coming up that don't actually drink. I, I read a stat the other day, and I think I reposted it on my LinkedIn, um, 35% of this next generation of folks like approaching or about to cross over 21 don't drink, which I think is uh, amazing. Like where, how are they finding joy? Cause I was dipping into a bottle of red once in a while, you know, like that's amazing to think that, that this next generation might not need, you know, that kind of sustenance to give them joy and make them, um, happier and more pleasant to be around and all the other, you know, a, a similar life. Life will knock them back too, right? They'll they'll come they'll come to the bottle eventually, Natalie. Don't I worry about not. it. <laughs> I hope not. I'm I'm optimistic for them. I think it's amazing. Oh, um, but we need them to to help sustain a Hunify going forward, right? Yeah. To some extent, yes. Yeah. But yeah. you know, when I think about the when I think about the opportunity that I'm seeing with folks like Athletic Beer, um, who only does non-alcoholic beverages, um, what I really see these craft beverage beverage manufacturer doing is creating an economic impact, a huge one, as a matter of fact, because they do act as anchors. Um, and you think about there's there's NAICS codes that we could look at that tell us, um, you know, in three months, they might get a coffee shop. And in six months, that community might also get a cafe. And there's all these amazing things that happen um, to 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 justify the existence of craft beverage and, and to sustain them in the sense that what they're doing is purposeful and meaningful. Um, I, th I think there are ideas that they might adopt that could help them think about their business differently. And some of those ideas we've built into technology and some of them are like plan for the fact that a guy might bring his pregnant wife in and have something there that she can enjoy. Like that would just be the greatest piece of advice that I could give to craft beverage manufacturers just over that stat, like think differently, think brought more broadly that you're creating this amazing space and you want people to feel comfortable and you want them to feel welcome because that's hospitality, right? So have amazing, extraordinary things that someone who can't drink alcohol could enjoy and still feel the same way. Yeah. Um, that would be, you know, just a free piece of advice in this, but so, so Ohanify started, we, you know, we started out in brewery. We've got a distillery here in Wilmington, end of days. You can taste the love in their product. I'm a huge fan of the organization. I'm a huge fan of what they are seeking to drive. You can see an, you can see an entire area of Wilmington transformed. Um, and, and they just love, like when you walk in, you can feel it and you feel welcomed. And, and if you're there and somebody's there that has the capacity to do it, they'll give you a tour and, um, you know, I just believe in businesses like that, that give pl people place to go when they are seeking shelter or seeking solace or seeking a place to to be heard in some capacity. So I believe in craft beverage. But, you know, I think I think there are bigger things on the horizon for Ohanify and, and we're still proving this out. But but what so, we really, 
Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, let's jump in um, there for a second real quick. So what you've built out so far um, over the course of the last seven months is a CRM that sits on top of Salesforce with a primary focus for craft brewers, right? Um, what uh, what does version one of the CRM help them accomplish? What we build in version one seeks to solve the problems that I first identified in, in craft beverage. And that is having supply and demand in the same system so that I can buy my raw materials and I can mix them together in my equipment and I can package them up. And I, I need to know to the penny how much every everything, every part of that costs in the supply chain as I'm producing my materials, as I'm producing my beer or my, my gin or my vodka or or my juice or my tonic or anything that I'm producing. So we've built a system that that helps with that whole inventory management, buying those raw materials, sourcing them from your suppliers, being able to compare costs associated with them through different suppliers based on your purchase history. Lots of different things that go into just getting the stuff that you need to be able to, to uh, mix it together to produce something else. Well, and then we had to take it a step further because today they have that technology and that technology today does not speak to integrate with. There's lots of technical terms for it, but that technology doesn't work directly with things like sales and marketing. And that's your demand. Right. So if um, if I'm selling a product and I don't have it, someone calls and says, hey, I want to place an order and I don't have it in stock. How do I know I don't have it in stock? I have to see it in real time. Um, and if I don't have it in stock, then what do I do? Well, I, I obviously I want to get the customer something that they need, but I also want to make a note somewhere that it was out of stock because I should use that information to to drive sales to I'm sorry, to drive production to produce more. So that's what I mean about supply and demand being in the same system and kind of ebbing and flowing and learning. Um, one of our our interns the other day, was talking to me about a class that he was taking at UNCW. We love UNCW. And um, he said, you know, I'm, I'm learning that data is really a company's biggest asset. And, and what we're seeing in especially folks that have all these disparate systems is they can't really harvest and use that data in meaningful ways. So because we built on top of Salesforce, we have world-class customer relationship management, CRM that you mentioned. And that's stuff like, how many times do I need to call William before he buys my beer? Or how many times do I need to call Jack before he will um, take on my new product, whatever that product is? And again, we focus first in craft beverage because we believe in those in those people. But but what we really have have seen is that there are so many business challenges that that solutions for them aren't as hard as we've made them. The problem is they're all disparate right now. And we believe that we can recreate a lot of these business needs in the same system. Because then you might also ask yourself, so we've talked about a little bit about inventory and production and selling and and how do we proactively like reach out if a customer hasn't placed an order in three months, why? Um, and and we should call that customer and we should resolve that relationship and we should figure out if there's something we can do better to to get our product into their hands. Right. Because we believe that they like it or they wouldn't have bought it in the first place. Then we started looking at things like events and, and the amount. And honestly, we looked at this one first internally, but we we believe that we can get our name out there if we do things like trade shows and these expensive events. And I want to prove it right. Like, no, you have to prove 
that that type of activity is worth it. And so we start looking at things like the expenses and the everything that goes into either hosting event an event or everything that goes into attending an event. And, and we did that for our breweries. We took the same technology we built internally for us and we converted it for our our breweries and our cideries and our distilleries and all of our craft customers because they have a finite amount of hours that a tap room can be open. I mean, there's laws around it, right? So we wanted them to be able to do things like understand their return on investment by event type. Because if you have a choice between two or three different events on a day that you could host, pick the one that drives the most return on the investment that you put in it, right? Like that's what we should be seeking to, to give them is that kind of insight. And I don't think you can do that without inventory and sales data and all of the stuff that you need to be able to put stuff like that in place. But that's universal. We built our solution for a software company, Ohanify, because I wanted to understand how much we were spending in marketing events and that sort of stuff. And then we've scaled that now to be really, really relevant in craft beverage. And um, we've we've included people because we are recruiting and, and we are hiring and we have candidates and we have applicants. And sometimes our, our candidates don't fit the role right now, but we think back, gosh, who was that lady I talked to six weeks ago? Because this new opportunity might be perfect for her. Um, and as former hiring managers and people that have done this in all kinds of different organizations, we just knew there had to be a better way to, to absorb candidates and to look at their resumes and to try to put them in the path that, that we think makes the most sense based on their skill set and that sort of stuff. And then when they come on, how do we onboard them? Like who talks to them first? And, and we've put our own process in place, but we wanted to be able to share that right with our with our brewery customers. So we built some human capital management, HCM. It's actually a category of software, but we built um, an, enough functionality to, to help a company really start to pull together all the different components of their business um, onto a singular platform. And that's where that magic is. That magic of data is, you know, um, there's all kinds of different things that we need to understand around our business. Um, we want to be able to generate documents, something so simple. You could go find 30 apps that do that, but do they do it in the same system where you're working everything else or is it another license you need to be? So what I think we've really built, and I'm kind of calling a shot here a little bit because this is this is early in this evolution as we continue to, to work, um, work with our craft beverage customers. And again, there is passion and heart in that, in that part of our business. And we're thrilled, you know, to say things like we've gotten 12 customers in our first seven months. I, I thought we'd probably have two paying customers by the end of the year. And we kind of planned for that because I'm a banker and I'm conservative. And, you know, we needed to prove certain steps in the process. We needed to prove first that we could listen well and we're consultants. So we knew we knew how to do that. And we, then we needed to prove that we could create a product organization that could support uh, building a, a product. And, and that implies more than just a hacker, just hacking away and loosely throwing functionality out. It implies this kind of overarching a good data model and and solid plan for each of the features and architectures and frameworks and supporting technology to measure all of that. So we built a lot of that. And then we knew we had to get a customer and take them live because implementations can be daunting for software and technology. And we know that our customers in this particular industry don't have the bandwidth to absorb a massive implementation. So, you know, we said, 
wouldn't it be amazing if our implementations only took six weeks? And that was because we had come from companies where implementations and even in consulting three, four, five years, I mean, it's just not scalable. It's not sustainable, right? So so we initially set for six weeks and we're doing it in about four. And, and, and it's amazing because we built technology for ourselves to monitor that and to track that. Um, there's a reason I know all this data and it's because we measure all of it. Um, so we've built loosely a project management application that can that could help a brewery or a, or a craft beverage manufacturer take a new product to market because a project is a project, right? It has milestones and tasks and deliverables and and you know checkpoints and all kinds of other stuff. People that get associated with it. So, so jump in real quick. I'll give you a chance to um, to um, reset and think. Seven months in, um, and you've built um, a lot. <laughs> yeah, what six, seven different applications? What's your um, What's your board look like that y'all want to build into right now? How do you prioritize what you're doing? It sounds like right now a lot of it is internal challenges. You roll it out to your existing um, breweries and say, would this be helpful? And if they say, yes, y'all roll it out. Yeah. Um, is that kind of where y'all are right now? And then that's what how is, we've started. Yeah. That's how, how we started. I think when you look at the, the opportunity that lays in front of us, we, we believe it's massive. Um, I, I read an article the other day, uh, the notion of a compound startup where you have a lot of different opportunities under the same umbrella and, um, you know, we're we're really optimistic around craft beverage because we believe in what they're doing and we want to help them. And, and we're already making a significant difference. One of our first testimonial videos, as you can imagine, was about our first customer, Inez. And um, she saw things like 200% increases in her wholesale revenue. And, and that gave me so much hope that we know how to solve problems. We know how to um, to streamline what folks are doing and give them insights and shine a big spotlight on the things that really matter. And, and you learn in business fairly quickly that revenue matters. And so driving sales behaviors, using things like data within, within Salesforce, that's, that's really specific to a problem, right? So one of our problems was we had, we have a lot of candidates and applicants and, and we're hiring a lot. So we wanted to be able to scale that. Another of our problems was we want to manage these projects so closely and carefully because we want to be able to set the right expectations for the people who buy us of how long we think it's going to take. So we've measured every milestone very, very carefully. And we built technology to support that because otherwise, how do you do it? Um, and then, you know, we realized that there were marketing opportunities where we were solving our own challenges, but it ultimately became something that resonated really well. Um, so, you know, I think the sky's the limit. Look, we're, we're ironed to the grindstone on getting our customers as happy as and successful as we can possibly get them because we believe that that breeds more success. Um, and happy, so obviously happy people talk a lot, right? Sorry, I said happy people talk a lot. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, we know that's our greatest source of of new customers is our customers experiences. And and so we're really focused on that. But, I, you know, for anybody out there that that's interested in the notion of a compound startup, um, we believe we're on to something really special. I, I had someone tell me one time, uh, you've got a tiger by the tail and 
and I'm just hanging on and, and we're having the best time and, and we're having great conversations and we're trying to be really strategic and really intentional and purposeful with, with what we do next in terms of where we go from here, where we grow from here. Um, but, but craft beverage is, is where we've started and we're making a significant impact there. And I'm really proud of what we've been able to do in seven months. <laughs> I almost giggle about it because if, if I had not seen it, I don't know that I would believe it. Um, because many, it's just been that extraordinary. How many employees do you have now? We have 10 full-time employees and we have five interns from UNCW. Um, and, and it just so happens that we have UNCW in our back door and we're so grateful for their partnership. But I got to say to any founder, believe in interns because I have seen so many amazing stories of, of interns going into organizations and and being properly invested in. And it does take a commitment, right? Like you have to give them guidelines and you have to give them guardrails to, to protect everyone and and you point them in the right direction and you and you answer their questions. But when you can when you can invest in that, it is so worth it. And and now I'm honored to say Ian Padrick, the the guy that, you know, the one guy, the the best I've ever seen was an intern at Encino and he got so much exposure to to really every facet of the business that he he took that and just made himself extraordinary with all that knowledge. And I'm so proud to say, I mean, that was less than, I guess, 10 years ago. So to have seen his progression to now he's chief product officer, he's chief revenue. I mean, he's he's running so much of our company. And to know that that history is really what enabled him to get there, it, it's worth the investment. I would tell all founders that is worth the investment of time that it takes to get that program stood up. So we have 15 right now. And one of our internal KPIs is, you know, I always want to hire the right people, but I really want to convert our interns always first. So if we have an open role, we look to our pool of interns and, and watch for hands raising. Like I could do that. I, I want to do that because those are the kinds of folks that you want to work with, right? The ones who are willing to raise their hands. So we've had a lot of success with that. That's awesome. 2000, gosh knows, I can't believe I'm about to say this. 2023, right? It's upon us. It's here. Um, what are what are the business goals for 2023 for Ahonafa? Um, it's really about execution with our customers. I mean, we know that's our greatest source of number one joy. I mean, it's why we're doing this. We want to help our customers be more successful. We want to hear more stories about folks whose revenue is going up or their expenses are going down or their people are happier. We want to hear those stories. Um, so it's really about execution. Um, we are, we are also thinking, uh, you know, we're trying some other industries to understand really how, this story resonates and we believe it's we believe it's going to hit really big. Um, so there will at some point potentially be a capital raise. Uh, right now we're bootstrapping because I'm a banker and I can't sell something that I you know can't say that I have my utmost faith in. And so I'm putting in as much money myself as I am really comfortable or and I am. I'm actually really comfortable doing it. But you know, banker, former bankers out there can relate we work so hard with and we watch our 401ks grow and we watch all this stuff happen and it's like you know if you're going to invest in anything invest in yourself and so we're doing that for the short term because there's several of us that believe so much in this that 
that we want to see it. We want to see what we can do with it before we ask others to join us in it, frankly, because um, we want to make sure we can do this. And again, just every proof point we've asked to to, to test for ourselves, to, to build our confidence, things like taking customers live and, and, you know, what are our sales KPIs look like? Like what's our customer acquisition cost? What's our close rate? Like those types of things that we really want to understand. And, and right now, without me saying, I hope it's this number, because sometimes I think KPIs can limit us, right? If I, I used to always use this analogy as a salesperson, I always said, I'm going to hit 200% of my goal this year. Cause that's just who I was. I'd, and I always hit 200% of my goal. Why didn't I say 300? Like, you know, it's like you don't want to limit yourself and put a ceiling on your potential. So the the numbers that I've seen are, are, are 2x what my greatest aspirations would have been if I had verbalized them. And so I love the thought that right now we're really feeling what we can do with this machine as we continue to rev the engine on it. You mentioned something just then that is... Um... It's interesting. Your um the banker mentality, right? Um it's kind of in your blood because you started, I mean, that was your first kind of career com- component, right? So it was yeah. kind of the baseline of, of who you were. Yeah. What have you had to break free of yeah. from that mentality as a startup founder? That's a beautiful question. And it for me personally, it's all about fear. I think when you're in banking, you see a lot of times the worst. Oh, they did this and this happened. And uh, this this company and, I, you know, I love these people and they did this and they failed. And if they can't do it, no one can do it. And it's just this fear that you see as you're working through these, you know, different circumstances that really have nothing to do with you. Um so, I, you know, I think it's this conservatism based on fear, if I have to be honest. And that's one thing I've had to really battle against um, for the last, I told you, I was married to a serial entrepreneur. I can't imagine what he might have done if I had said yes more. I mean, I said yes a lot. I, I listed off a lot of businesses there. But but what if I had said yes even more? What What else could he have done? I just, I don't want to have any more regret ever like that. So I think what I have really meant by stifling that banker mentality is I have to I have to realize that that we're here for such a short amount of time and we ha- all have this incredible impact that we can make on people, especially if we're kind of falling in line with our what we've done and what we've been passionate about and what we've cared about. And so to um, to kind of round that out, I, I think it really is overcoming the fear of of failure, the fear of disappointment of letting people down. Um, and that came from banking. Um, but there, there have been so many other good things with banking that, that I could attribute like, um, you know, cash flow management. <laughs> I'm very, I'm very conscientious of things like cash burn and profitability. Like, um, you know, I just, I think those are really important metrics that some SaaS businesses have you know, in the in the last ten years, it's been a bit of a it's been a bit of a shoot a shoot off and a wild west shoot off with how fast can you grow, how how fast can you do this, and you know the banker in me still says no no cash burn and and profitability and cash flow and 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 smart growth are really important and I I just won't devi- deviate from those because of that that banker mentality in me so it there's pros and cons to it I I don't mean to to diss the bankers because I am one and I, yeah. I identify right but 
that's right um so we're uh, coming up probably 10 minutes towards the end as always said it flies by so quick um it's funny you're talking about um limiting yourself and i'm just finishing up a book called can't can't hurt me by david gogans um who was a navy seal um and he talks in there he ended up becoming an ultra athlete um as well and he talks in there about how most folks probably only tap into 40 percent of their real potential right um and so as you as you talk about don't limit yourself i immediately go back to david's story and, and what he overcame and everything yeah um, i um I'm, I'm a big fan as a leader of letting my team think about the metrics, right? I, I I want them to tell me what they can do because then I'm going to say, well, why can't you do more? And, and that's really, I think, how you get teams to think of bigger, to think less limiting. And, and we're, as human beings, and especially as bankers, we're conditioned to, to limit things as, you know, a FICO score and a and a net worth and, you know, an investable asset number and all of these different things that we're conditioned to kind of limit people and um, I don't know. I, I just think there's something magical about letting teams decide what they can deliver because once they set it, they own it, right? That's the extreme ownership that comes with that, which I think is a, the title of another good book, Extreme Ownership, that Ian is a big fan of as well. So we we practice a lot of those kinds of philosophies um, because really my ultimate goal, my ultimate goal in all of this is to be a brave business owner that has a business that's centered on loving the people around you and wanting, you know, my customers to love us because we're adding so much value. And I want our investors one day to love us because we're adding so much value. Um, and, and then of course I want my employees to love us. And, and there's so many intangible benefits of all of those. And, and it's not that superficial like weird love that sometimes we get hung up on as humans this is more like i want our souls connected like i want us all working toward the same goal the same fundamental belief which is we can help people by delivering technology solutions to their problems and so i'm just you know i'm asking everyone to 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 dream bigger and and it's a fundamental tenet of of what I want this company to be. And, and we will go as long and as hard as we possibly can, as long as we get to live by that tenant, that it really is all about love. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, you've mentioned it a couple of times that you've bootstrapped, but you've hinted at future capital raises, future investors. How will you know it's the right time, Natalie, right? Do you have that? And have you started to put a, that into your head yet? We um, have our projections built out for five years because I'm a, a banker. I was about to say, as a banker, you've done that. <laughs> so, and, and we, and they're really intentional, you know, like I've seen, I've seen projections over the years as a banker that I kind of laughed at because it's like, oh, let's assume 20% growth and that, that, that. And we've been really intentional, like, um, how much did we spend on our Christmas party this year? Well, my mom and aunt catered it and it cost us like $600 in food. So next year, let's, let's plan to double that, right? Like, I don't want to be extravagant because I'm not extravagant, but I, you know, our budgets are really intentional. Um, so we, we, the, the people internally who are bootstrapping it have, have an idea of the number that we're going to be most comfortable with in terms of the cash that we insert into the business to continue to prove this. 
Um, we have built a huge buffer around that because some of us are conservative and we, you know, so we have an idea of when we're going to start doing a raise. Um, I think it will be in 2023 and I think it will first go to our friends, to our family, to people who have believed in us when we maybe didn't have it on paper yet. And, and, and there I've had lots of folks reach out because I, and, and I'm so blessed to have this huge network of, of friends and family. And I, I was a wealth advisor. So, um, you know, former employers, former bosses of mine have reached out and said, I don't know anything about what you're doing, but I believe in you. So I'm excited about when we get to do it, but just know that when we do it, it will be because we have, we have really proven what, what we have are seeking to prove. And that is all these little milestones, if you will, can we implement on time? Can we make our customers happy? Are they delighted? Are they willing to leave us five-star Google reviews? Like there's all kinds of things that that we have as criteria for when we know that we'll be ready. And there's probably 2,000 of those. And we've we've checked off 1,750 of them. And, and so we've got a few more that, that we're looking to prove, but it, it's coming. Um, and I know the markets are tough and I know everyone is, you know, living in some fear from a liquidity perspective of this um, of this global turn, whatever that is. But, you know, I just remind everybody to to know unequivocally that some of the best ideas that, that are that our country as a whole, we collectively has ever put together and co have come in times of need and have come in times of of really despair. I mean, look at what came after the Great Depression and all of the innovation and all of that stuff. And so I'm not likening this financial thing to that. I'm just saying I would I would encourage folks that are if if you're moved by a story and and you believe in the people that 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 you're working with, don't live in fear. Um, that would be my greatest advice on that is if you find something that you think is worthwhile, do it and and find things that are worthwhile and meaningful to you. So if you know you'll you'll probably I'll I'll probably reach out as we're moving closer to the date of of what we're intending to do with the friends and family round and and if there's anybody I think that's moved by this story or you know you have something in common with us um reach out and let let's continue to talk about it because we're really excited about what we're doing and and we believe it's a it's a tremendous opportunity for for not only the people involved but but also our our town Wilmington North Carolina and and our our county and our our state i mean north carolina has turned out some of the best um startups here in the last few years that are just really doing phenomenal things and i'm proud to be a part of that i mean you can tell from my accent i, I clearly can't pass off that i'm from anywhere except eastern north carolina so you know i'm proud of that and i want that to shine for the rest of the country and the rest of the world as a, a symbol of supporting supporting local um, and I, you know, I think there's a lot of great founders out there with amazing ideas. And so I'm excited to see what the next year brings for us, but I'm also excited to see what the next year brings for the state and, and, you know, everyone, because yeah. it's an exciting time to be doing something transformational like this. Well, as a, as a fellow Eastern North Carolinian who, um, uh, grew up in New Bern, dated a girl from Bethel and knows friends from Tarboro, um, I'm excited to see what you're doing. Um, <laughs> Thank you. When you look at, um, and kind of last question, um, when you look at yourself and kind of where you are as a founder and a founder team, um, 
it, you said it earlier that you, you know, it took you 30 years to get to this point. Um, what's the skill set that you think you have um, and the team has as well? Because um, I know it's the team, right? Yes. That, that pushes this to where you and the team want it to go, right? What's that? What's your, what's your secret sauce? Cause every founder has its own separate secret sauce, right? Yeah. Um, so what's, what's, um, what's yours? Um, it's, well, I'll, I'll go with two. And if, if more pop in my head, I'll share them. Our first one, I think our purpose is our superpower. Actually, I'm trying to like normalize a hashtag around that because when you are purposeful and intentional with what you're doing, crazy things happen. I mean, just the right people at the right time show up with the right message. And and so being purposeful and intentional, I think is one of our, our, our number one secret sauce ingredients. The other one is I am surrounded by utility players. Um, and what I mean by that is people are capable of so much more than staying in their lane. And as business owners, sometimes um, we've lost sight of that. Like, no, no, that's your lane. Stay in that lane. Well, when you surround yourself with utility players, like there aren't many CEOs that can go read a line of code and, and tell you what's broken. And I don't spend a lot of time doing it, but I do enjoy doing it because dang, I think it's amazing that I can at least read another language and troubleshoot it and that sort of stuff. And I think it's amazing to have a head of product or a, a chief product officer that is passionate about sales because he has to admit there's two, typically those are fairly conflicting roles within an organization. You have, you know, products saying, stop selling what we don't have. And you have sales saying, build what we need to sell. So to have someone that can cross over both of those, I think is magical um, to have a head of marketing who is, who has done business development and partners and all kinds of other components and aspects related to a startup operations and finance. And I mean, I'm just blessed with a bunch of utility players with this attitude that, that we can do anything. We can do anything we want to do. And um, it's exciting. And, and I, you know, that's one of my more favorite of, of our secret sauces. So I think it's a combination of purpose and, and the people that you surround yourselves with and, just kind of a sub note in that grab utility players because it's pretty magical when people can cross over either industries or verticals or even departments within an organization and, and make magic happen. That is um, that's where the special really comes in. That's awesome. I love it. Um, uh, and you can certainly tell you're passionate too, right? So um, that bleeds through from the first second uh, you open your mouth. So it's, and that is so helpful and really almost a prerequisite to have as a founder, right? You've got to have people follow you and it's really hard to follow you if you don't have passion. So yeah. you're doing an awesome job. Um, it's Thank been you. really cool to sit here and have a chance to talk to you for the last 50 ish minutes. Um, I can tell you, um, I, again, I grew up in the East North Carolina and I know, um, we always saw anything West of 95, um, was, um, um, well, I don't know, the devil, bad people, big city, anything else. Right. So, um, you do have some folks here on the West of 95 and the big, big city of Charlotte pulling for you. That's um, amazing. I'm so grateful for it. Y'all are doing some cool things and really excited to see it. I know, um, I know your son looks at you with proud eyes to see what you're doing. Um, and I know your, um, I know your husband does as well. So that's, um, you've been through a lot and, um, it's really cool to see 
the growth that you've taken up over the course of the last couple of years. And I know there's a lot of folks that are super proud of you. So yeah, um, congrats you. and congrats and keep it going. Let's hope for a roar in 2023 for you, right? Absolutely. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful that you, as I said, that you noticed us because, you know, it means something. I think it, it, it's just a great opportunity to to help others say, you can do anything. You just got to set your mind to it and, and you got to surround yourself with the right people. And um, I think it's beautiful. So thank you for this opportunity to share our story. Yeah, no, thanks so much. Good luck. Okay, thanks. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Portis Wealth Advisors. The topics discussed and the opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Portis Wealth Advisors does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Investments described herein may be speculative and may involve a substantial risk of loss. Interest may be offered only to persons who qualified as accredited investors under applicable state and federal regulation or an eligible employee of the management company. There generally is no public market for the interest. Prospective investors should particularly note that many factors affect performance, including changes in the market conditions and interest rates and other economic, political, or financial developments. Past performance is not and should not be construed as indicative of future results.